Hey, Anna, remember that time John Brown was an abolitionist from birth? Welcome to Remember That Time in Historical Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. Welcome back. We're back, baby. We Thanks took for being a, patient. Yeah, we took a little bit of a deviation from our normal schedule because things were bonkers. I'm there. overwhelmed yeah. with my work, so we needed a little, little break. break. <laughs> So thank you all for being patient and understanding while we reworked the schedule a little bit. We Mm -hmm. are going to be every other week, like from now, Mm -hmm. instead of it being like two weeks in a row. So So we're just, this is our new every other week. Normal cadence from here on out. So we're back, baby. And since we're back, would you like a drink update? I would. I'm once again having some hot cider. It's spiced cider. From Trader mm-hmm. Joe's. Do, do you want to know something? I almost made that for myself, but then I decided I didn't want to take the time to do it because I was like finishing notes right <laughs> before we like started recording. Minute. I know, but I didn't feel like it. So I just got water. So I'm drinking water. <laughs> so the water came with a story today. And the story is I wish that it was hot cider. <laughs> well, you can have some after. Oh, but after I have to go dye my hair and that's going to take a whole thing. I you guess can't I can have some while I'm waiting for exactly. it. Exactly. Your yeah. hair has to set. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> here we are. Already going down some rabbit trails. Uh-huh. We're back, back, back again, baby. <laughs> same old, same old. So let's just get into it. All right. So today we are going to talk about John Brown. Yes. Very famous abolitionist John Brown. Had an interesting life, did some wild stuff. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about the gentleman. I don't know how many of of y'all listeners have learned, like, in depth about John Brown, but Amanda and I had to take West Virginia history in school, and this was, like, a pretty big part of it. I but like I I don't teach like specific West Virginia history in but my you grade, had to take but it I but but what I'm saying is I teach Civil War history and I yeah. teach John Brown right but um, I'm talking my about students our education yeah 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 we learned it in West Virginia history and it was like a very big deal when you got to the John Brown portion of of the class yeah so here we go here we go so. John Brown is born on May 9th, 1800 in Torrington, Connecticut to Owen Brown and Ruth Mills. He is the fourth of eight children. Smack dab in the middle. A lot of kids. Uh, Oh, if you think that's a lot of kids. (laughs) Well, I I just mean we talk about it all the time on this podcast. I know. Every time someone, I feel like every time someone has more than four kids, we're like, wow. A lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. Yes. (laughs) Um. His grandfathers on both sides of his family actually fought in the Revolutionary War. And on his father's side, he is a descendant of Peter Brown, who came to America on the Mayflower. Hmm. Which I just thought was very interesting. That Mayflower song that we both had to learn in like kindergarten just popped right into my brain. And I don't remember all the words. So when I sing it in my head, I go, the Mayflower, the Mayflower. Same. 
Yep. <laughs> That's Same. all I know. Yep. In 1805, his family moves to Hudson, Ohio. Um, the founder of the town, David Hudson, is a friend of John's father, um, and he's a pretty avid abolitionist. Um, and his father opens a tannery hmm. and offers a safe house on the Underground Railroad in this town. We'd love to see that. So we're starting off strong. So he was born <laughs> into an abolitionist family. This is such a stronger start than most of the other people we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what's interesting about John is that he started out as an abolitionist and continued to be an abolitionist, but became a pretty wild human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a fair statement. A lot of times the people we talk about, like, are wild human beings and then discover something wonderful that gives their life purpose. Or the other way around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, His mother dies in 1808. Um, His father remarries, but, like... John was pretty close with his mother and, like, never really got close with his uh, Stepmother. father's new wife. So, like, you know. Um, there's not any schooling past elementary school in Hudson. Um, so John is sent to Talmadge, which is a nearby town, to go to school with an abolitionist named Eliza Wright. Um, his, I think, son of the same name ended up becoming a very famous mm. abolitionist also. When he's 16 years old... He leaves home and travels to the east, a little further east than Ohio, um, to to continue his schooling. Um, he wants to become a minister initially, and he's preparing to start school at Amherst College, but he suffers from a chronic eye inflammation. Oh, that makes yeah. it like, difficult for him to be able to like study, you know what I mean? Um and so he has to give up on school. Like he can't he be healthy enough to do it. I totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he returns home to Hudson. Uh, but just because he can't get any formal schooling doesn't mean that he stops learning. Um, when well, he's at home, you would hope not because yeah. otherwise, listen, this was a time when not a lot of people got further schooling and you would hope that most of them continued learning. Yeah. <laughs> Though that's not always the case, I guess. Yeah. Um, so when he returns home, he teaches himself surveying, um, just like f- from some book, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and he works for his father's tannery. And after a little while, he opens his own tannery with his adopted brother, Levi Blakesley. And if you don't know what a tannery is, it's like oh, a, yeah. um, they like hide animals. They skin right. animals and like um, cure the hides and whatever. Um for materials. Right. Uh, in 1820, he marries Dianth Lusk. Whoa, uh, which hold Dianth on. Pause. is a wild name. Yeah, yeah. Dianth? Dianth is her name. How frequently uh-huh. in her life was she called Diane? And she well, just had ma- to be like, ugh. Maybe Dianth was the predecessor maybe. to the name Diane. Maybe. That would be my guess. I would hope so for her sake, because that yeah. would be so annoying. I hate being called Hannah, and that's another normal name. <laughs> yeah. And I just hate it because it's not my name, so I can't imagine. Yeah. So he marries Diane Lusk, who is the daughter of his housekeeper. Hmm. Um, They have their first child, who they named John Jr., just over a year later. And eventually they will have seven children together. A lot of children. A lot of children. Do you know what their age difference was? 
Um, I, uh, I don't know. I don't think it was crazy. Okay. At this point, I was just curious because of the housekeeper's daughter thing. I just was curious if there was like a big gap or. The story there is that he actually did most of his own housework, but, um, he didn't bake his own bread. Oh. (laughs) And this woman who was baking bread for him, eventually he like offers to let her and her daughter move into his house and start paying them for work as housekeepers. I see. Um, and. gotcha. To from what I was reading, it didn't seem like she was very young, and he's okay. only twenty at this point. So I don't think it's. Crazy. Oh yeah, I forgot he was only like twenty. Yeah, but, but it, adult yeah. men can like you know have houses and stuff at this yeah. point when they're you know young adults and not yeah married or fifty. Right. <laughs> um. So I I don't know for sure, but I don't think it was okay. Like I was a wild just curious. Difference. In 1925, nope. John moves. Nope, no, not 1925. Wow. No. <laughs> that would be a big chump. Absolutely not. Now he's 120. <laughs> 1825, John moves his family to New Richmond, Pennsylvania, uh, because he wants to be in like a safer or like slightly more central place to help fugitive slaves. Like he wants mm-hmm. to be able to be more active in you. that work. Uh, he buys 200 acres of land. He builds a cabin and a new tannery and a barn that has a secret room for hiding fugitive slaves. Um, And it's estimated that this stop on the Underground Railroad helped around 2,500 slaves get to Canada in the time that he lived and worked there. Uh, John works at his tannery. He also helps survey new roads um, to, like, make money in this new place that they're living. He erects a school. Uh, and he helps establish a congressional church, which is like a predecessor to the, pr- uh, pro- well, no, hold on. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Presbyterians. That's there what we I go. Of. Oh, pres- I see you were going to say Protestant, but yeah, that's Yeah, and then right. I was like, yeah, why gotcha. can't I think of the word Presbyterian? <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. It's a, it's a Calvinist tradition. Right. Um, he also helps establish a post office in this town. And oh in 1828... President John Quincy Adams names him the first postmaster general of Randolph, Pennsylvania, which is a job he works until 1835. Renaissance man. Yeah. So he's he's a, a little bit of a, a jack of all trades. Or many trades. Yeah. Yeah. Many, <laughs> many. Um, I just re- I enjoyed this quote that I read, I think, on Wikipedia. Um in 1829, some white families asked Brown to help them drive off Native Americans who hunted annually in the area. Mm-mm. Brown replied, I will have nothing to do with so mean an act. I would sooner take my gun and help drive you out of this country. <laughs> you should have. Um, Frankly, he should have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he is well established as an abolitionist, but he also had very good relationships with Native Americans. That um, is not necessarily a given either. Uh, yes. So... Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, 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 he grew up, um, you know, in Hudson. That was a frontier town. You right. know, Ohio at that point was still a frontier yeah. state um, and had really good and positive experiences with Native Americans, hunted with them when he was a young man. So that's also just a good and interesting thing to know about yeah. him. Yeah. Um, in 1831, his youngest son dies at age four. Sad. And his, John is sick for a while. It, it, I think it might have been the same illness or something that like went through their family. I don't know. But he has this period of time when he's pretty sick. And 
it starts to affect his businesses because he can't work because mm-hmm. he's sick. And he this like he starts to fall into debt around this time because of this like period. And then in 1832, his newborn son dies shortly oh. after birth. And then just a little after that, his wife dies from complications from childbirth. Oh, another so he, one. An- yeah. Another one from our, our episodes. Man, it always yeah. makes me sad. He always, he so he has a, a rough couple of years there. Yeah. Yeah. So on July 14th of 1833, John remarries. Um he marries a 17-year-old oh, girl. There it is. Yep, there it is. <laughs> uh named Mary Ann Day. So his first one, not so bad, because he got married so young that it was mm-hmm. like, eh. But now he's 33 and he's marrying a 17-year-old. Oh, so I hate not the it best. So much every time. Um eventually they will have 13 children together. Okay. Okay. That's a lot of children. That's what, that was what my warning was sorry, earlier. That's too, I'm sorry. That's too many. So in his life, uh, he has 20 children. When I say- Not all of them survive, but he has 20 children. When I say that's too many children, here's what I mean. Have as many children as you want. I think that's great. That is so much- for a person to put their body through yeah. that many pregnancies like yeah. that's too many pregnancies and chances are they probably had more pregnancies that yeah. didn't get carried to term like can you imagine no awful i yeah, can't it's imagine wild. it's too much it's too much to put your body through like come on and then i also think like so they have these 13 they had seven in the last marriage mm-hmm. Um, a couple of whom died, but like right. that's the size of my class. Right, <laughs> right. That's wild. You could, you could make a school out of your children. Yeah, wild. you could. You could technically make a school out of like seven of them too. You know, yeah. Like, that already yeah. you had a school of children. Yeah, <laughs> and then you added more. Yeah. Oof. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, in 1836, uh, John moves his family to Franklin Mills, Ohio, which is now. Kent, Ohio. Um, basically just because they were in pretty severe debt. Um, and he just needed a new place to like work his business. So he has to borrow to be able to buy land there. Um, he works as a bank director for a while. Um, and he starts to invest in credit and state bonds, which apparently a lot of people were doing around there mm-hmm. around that time. But there's like an economic panic in 1837 and he loses a lot of money in that because he was like putting money in bank stuff. So, you know, I find it so funny that we call those events panics. I know. Because it's just so accurately named. Yeah, it, it always starts because one person is like, ah, and then panics. Yeah. Sells or buys way too much stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it all falls apart. <laughs> so for several years, he works like a handful of different odd jobs, um, but nothing that really sticks. And he declares bankruptcy in federal court on September 28th, 1842. And I love to pause there because I really thought you were going to pull it. I declare. I almost did, but you were in the middle of a sentence. So <clears throat> I'll do it now if you uh-huh. if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could take a, I could take a swing out. Okay. <clears throat> uh-huh. I declare bankruptcy. Excellent. I just want you to know that saying the word bankruptcy doesn't actually do anything. 
that's the better part of the quote yes. for me. Yeah, is when Oscar comes in and says, I just wanted you to know that saying it doesn't actually mean do anything. anything. And then he says, well, I didn't say it. I declared, I declared it. it. <laughs> in 1843, four of his 13 children 20. die of dis- dysentery. And this is like pre-Oregon oh, Trail. Oh, man. So they it's didn't like, even make oof. it to the trail? No. What a bummer. They, they barely made it out of independence. Oh, man. Uh, I'm sorry. These are real children. And that is sad. Yeah. <laughs> that is sad. Yeah. Uh, during this time, he starts to work managing sheep flocks hmm. and farms that are like trading wool, which I think makes sense sort of logically because he was a tanner for a while. So sure. it's like, you know. Um, he has some knowledge in that field. In 1846, John moves to Springfield, Massachusetts. Now, Springfield is like a very progressive city Mm -hmm. in the northern United States and has a huge community of abolitionists. Like, it was very much a hub for um, abolitionists at this time. Uh, He sets up a wool commission with his business partner, Simon Perkins. And we're not going to talk like a ton more about it, but like it doesn't go great. (laughs) He he, like had several good years financially and then many, many, many bad years financially. That's how it be sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, While he's in Springfield, John goes to the Sanford Street Free Church, which is like a... Uh, established by former slaves and largely attended by black people. Um, It's a very popular church in his Mm -hmm. area. Um, He's eventually going to see Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth speak at this church. Love that. Um, That's where he meets Frederick Douglass. And they have... Fredless Douglass. (laughs) Um, They have an interesting relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Frederick Douglass is, like, a very intelligent man and yes. well-spoken and, like, uh, brilliant, poli- brilliant political, you know, yes. like, very, he, he really pays attention and uh, a lot of, puts a lot of care into the politics that he talks yes. about. And John Brown is just like, burn it down! Yeah. And so they have, like, wildly <laughs> different energies. Literally guns blazing. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, so they, they become friends and they have lots of conversations and, like, work together. They just have wildly different energies. Right. So, a little context of what's happening in the United States, because the things that lead up to the Civil War are very important to John and his life and his story. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. So in 1850... The United States passes the Fugitive Slave Act. And if you've never taken United States history before, uh, this act says that people in free states, so in the northern states, have to return escaped slaves. So they are, it's now illegal to help them them. at all. So they could face persecution for... Which is like helping people cool. like escape. cool yeah. free states you've got there yeah you know well, what i mean the people in the free states were not happy well about no it. i know yeah. that but it's like come yeah. on the whole thing was that the southern states were slave states and the northern states were free states and if you got past the line 
you were free. That was right. the whole thing. So people would escape and they would go out. But then southern states started to be like, that's my property. It's a human Ugh. being. It's not your property. But they were like, that's my property. You we have to return my property. So much about that. But yeah. Um, and so We'd be in here an attempt to appease that group, the United States passed the Fugitive Slave, Slave Act. As a response to this, John, who hated this, uh, <laughs> creates the League of Gileadites. Nailed it. I, I felt good I think about you that. Did. I think yeah. you nailed it. Um, it's named after um, Mount Gilead, Gilead. in the right. Bible. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is a militant group whose goal is to prevent the recapture of slaves. So basically, they're just like, they're like neighborhood watch. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. But like aggressive. The Knights of the Night. There's another office <laughs> reference for you. Yeah. Um, they, they're basically just like, if people come looking for escaped slaves, these people are going to beat you up, more or less. Is right, what right. It is. Um, and after the founding of this group, no one was ever taken back to slavery from Springfield. He said, not on my watch. No, sir. Um, and he actually will end up moving shortly after this, but the league continues after right. he's gone. Which is so great because yeah. in a lot of other places that probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Well, and he's so charismatic that like his leadership yeah. is pretty essential to a lot of the work that he does. Yeah. Um, and so it's good that that continued without him. Definitely. But it also could only really happen in a town like Springfield where that's what there's I'm already saying. the right people there. Exactly. You know? Yeah. The community was pretty committed to that being a necessity. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like I said before, during his time in Springfield, he continues having a lot of financial trouble. He, like, briefly goes to London to try and do some sale of, like, wool, and it goes very badly. And his Ugh. business partner has to take the brunt of the financial Ugh. problems because he just has no money. Thanks. So sorry, some kid just yelled so loud. That sounded like a parrot (laughs) screaching. That was that was wild. I could hear it through my big old headphones. I could hear it. So sorry through the computer. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, so he's having a lot of financial trouble, and in 1850, he decides to leave Springfield to join the farming colony Timbuktu, Mm -hmm. um, which is in the Adirondacks in New York. So this is a farming college colony that's largely made up of black men who are receiving land grants um, for very, very cheap. So people who have escaped, made it to the north and are looking to start working on their own. Um, there was a man who was like selling them land grants really, really cheap. Mm-hmm. And so um, John decides he wants to move there to help those men become financially stable. Sure. So he wants to go and set up like his own farm there, but also help them get established in the area. Right. Right. Um, So all of his like business moves that he makes, he makes with the intention of helping the abolitionist movement. Formerly enslaved people. yeah, Yeah. So he, he can't financially be an activist at this time so he right. makes financial moves that allow him to continue his activism more or sure. less that's what he's doing um he buys land in north elba new york which is like just outside of timbuktu and he spends about two years there um farming with this community um again back to some united states context around this same time the kansas territory is in the middle of a state-level civil war on the issue of slavery. So basically, the United States 
said, any state that is above this line, that's like the border of Missouri, any new state that is above this line will be a free state, and any new state below this line will be a slave state. And then they actually said, never mind, we're going to let some of these states vote on if they want to be a free state or a slave state. Right. And it was really dumb. I don't know why they did it. We I have do know never, it, it ever ridiculous. been able to figure out states versus federal rights. Yeah, <laughs> and additionally... We do know why they did it, and it's because they didn't actually care that much about slavery right. in the long run. They were just run. trying to appease exactly. Slave over- they others. cared about what was economically yeah, uh, and not starting I'm a war. Looking for. Yeah, and not starting a war. Uh, economically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Advantageous. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um. So the the first one of these states who was told you're going to get to decide was Kansas. Um, so they had been a territory. They were preparing to be a state in the union. And they were like, okay, you guys are going to get to vote. And they were all like, ah, uh, what, what, what? Yeah. And there wasn't really um, clear uh, rules about who could and couldn't vote because it wasn't a state yet. Right. So then like people came pouring in from Missouri to try and sway the vote and then people from the northern states came in trying to sway the vote and it became a real problem. There was a period of history known as Bleeding Kansas because yeah. of how violent this period was. God, this country has never once been stable. No. Uh, <laughs> so you joke. Okay. So you know our boy John needs to get up in this mess. <laughs> <laughs> this is so aggressively his This is theme. totally his jam. Yeah. So in 1855, um, his son, who one of his sons, I don't know which one, um, but one of his sons is living in Kansas. And he's like, hey, we are all so ill-prepared to protect ourselves from this nonsense. Can you come help? And he said, absolutely, I can. Fair enough. Um, so as he, like, is making his way to Kansas, he's like using his connections to get some money and some firearms um and he's working his way to kansas and he moves in with his son he he has a couple family members living there um to help with the anti-slavery forces in kansas so on may 21st 1856 lawrence kansas which at the time was the center for the anti-slavery activity in kansas is sacked by a pro-slavery group the sacking of lawrence is pretty famous Mm -hmm. as a response to this john and a group of other abolitionists go to here we go another fun word potawatomi creek nailed it feel very powerful you're two for two baby um uh and they kill five slave hunters who live there on may 24th and this is known as the potawatomi massacre um, and it was at the time, like, the most people who have who had been killed in Kansas because of a fight about slavery. Um, mm. and, but it's just going to get worse. So I was it's just going to say, that's not going to last long. Yeah. No, not a bit. Um, around the same time, a pro-slavery guy, Captain Clay Plate, captures- You completely missed a name there. Did I? <laughs> yes. Did I skip Henry? <laughs> Wow, Henry Clay Plate. This is what happens when we have three names. It's too much. Um, did I skip Henry? <laughs> missed it. I did not notice. Uh, anyway, so Henry. Yeah, this is a nighttime record, friends. We're not used <laughs> to this. Late it's in a the day little late. Okay. <laughs> um, he captures two of John's sons and destroys their family's home there. Uh oh. 
Wrong move, my guy. (laughs) Yeah. And on June 2nd, John leads a group of abolitionists in an attack against plate is it plate or paint did i type I don't that know. out wrong? you typed it different each time so i, I don't did know. and i can't remember which one's <laughs> correct <laughs> this is where we're at i think it's paint i think i did plate wrong the first you know time. what I, I don't feel bad for henry because he's a bad person yeah so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what do whatever you gotta needs do his name exactly um, and this becomes known as the battle of blackjack and can i tell you when i typed that i was really worried i was gonna say jack black <laughs> i read it as jack black <laughs> yeah 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 first um, so Pate and 22 of his men are captured wow. and John manages to negotiate his release the for the release, release of his sons. Yeah. Oh, so he, he okay. gets that worked out. Man, you, okay. First of all, I don't know why you thought it was a good idea to mess with somebody who had just gone and massacred five people. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I'm, I understand, like, maybe you thought, oh, this will be retaliatory. We'll get him where it's personal. But he has clearly shown that he will not hesitate. And if you make it more personal, here's my second of all. Why do you think he wouldn't immediately go harder on you? I, I actually am not sure because I couldn't find a clear timeline if the sun were captured before or after the Potawatomi massacre because it was like right about at the same time well i don't know why they would have reason to capture the sons before i think it's because it was it was just one of the pro-slavery groups but why would they target him specifically i don't why would they know who he is at this but point, he's he's a decently famous, uh, but not enough that you would capture his children. I guess, yeah, you know, until you yeah. know, like, oh, he's leading and people are following. Yeah, I will also know it's not young children; it's two of his adults. Still, but still, yeah. Um, in November of 1856, he leaves Kansas. Um, I didn't put because so much of his. Stuff was like this battle and this fight and this. It's thing not the main thing. thing. No. Yeah. Um. So in he w- it was starting to get pretty dicey. Um. <laughs> yeah. For him towards the end there, so he leaves Kansas. Um. And basically just starts traveling around the north to try and get some like money and weapons and support from some northern abolitionists for the fight in Kansas. Um. And over the next several years, this is what he's doing. Um. He's collecting. All this stuff for Kansas, but then sort of Kansas gets settled after a while. They mm-hmm. vote to be free. Right. Um, and then he starts doing the same work for his own plans for abolishing slavery. And we're going to sure. talk more about this as we go. But <laughs> he had a pretty strong belief that if he could just get all of the people who were enslaved the right supplies and, uh, f- uh, you know help them be able to fight themselves that we would take care of slavery pretty fast. That was sort of where he was at. I mean, it's not a terrible plan. It's just the execution is wildly difficult. (laughs) Yeah. And and he just didn't have a ton of faith in the political moves to to help free people. I mean, so he wanted to do enough. it through violence, basically. That is was fair enough. Now, yeah. I don't condone violence, but, like, I understand the mistrust. The frustration, yeah. And, yeah. you know, sometimes that's the way it is. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that we saw it all happening again and again and again, uh-huh, so. Uh-huh. Um, during this time, he meets this group of um, six 
pretty wealthy abolitionists who will often fund him with like very little questions. They like trust whatever he's working on. So they'll give him the money that he needs. Um, And this group becomes known as the secret six, which I find delightful. That's a pretty good one. I (laughs) just feels like a real James Bond kind of dealio. You know what I mean? Like really hope they had jackets made. Yeah, I do too. That would look Um, so good on the back of a jacket. (laughs) It wouldn't be quite so secret then though. No, but you wouldn't wear it out and about. Yeah. You know, you're not greasers. You're not wearing it to school. That's fair. But for your meetings. Yeah. (laughs) For your secret meetings, your secret six jackets. (laughs) Um, Also during this time, he meets Ralph Waddle Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. Uh, So he's making moves and meeting people. (laughs) Uh, He also meets an English mercenary named Hugh Forbes. And he works with Hugh to uh, make, quote, (coughs) a well-matured plan Mm -hmm. for how they should go about fighting slavery in the South. So he, like, hires him to be, like, a drill sergeant, kind of, for John's, um, uh, like, kind of group of guys. militia. He's yeah. planning to build a militia, essentially. Yeah. Um, right. It, not super organized, but he's starting to plan, like, how they could go about fighting right. in the South. Right. Um, so they work together for a while, and then they end up having a, some disagreements, both about the plan and also John can't pay him um, well, yeah. what he is supposed to be paying him because he doesn't have any money. of his own money um, and he can't get this funded. Um so they have sort of a falling out and John ends up taking his own version of this plan to the secret six and like starting to uh, organize with them and get some money for his, yeah, his plan for, for a militia. Secret um, six. I feel like I have to say their name like that. I know. The secret six. Also during this time, he is secretly like on the side quietly starting to plan for and raise money for a raid of Harper's Ferry, Virginia, which is now West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, we will get more into this in a minute, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted you to know that, like, the this seed is, is already planted. Right. He start- we'll talk more about that plan as we go, but, like, he's already working towards what's going to become the raid on Harper's Ferry. Right. Um, in May of 1858, he travels to Canada because there are a lot of recently escaped slaves, you know, who are becoming free in Canada, right? There's a large population in the border That's towns That's where a lot of Canada. people fled to yeah. once they mm-hmm. got out. So in those border towns, there was a lot of abolitionist work being done. Mm-hmm. So he travels to Canada to attend a constitutional convention with other abolitionists to basically make a plan for a, a slavery-free America. Like, they... It, it's so interesting because they're trying to kind of establish a new country in the current country, which is right. what the Confederates end up doing, but they, like, start but laying... in the wrong direction. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. but they, they, like, start laying plans for it so early and they don't want to separate right they want the whole of america to well, be free yeah. so when the confederates ended up doing it they said this portion of land is now ours which was a tre- treasonous act but these right. people are saying let's get some documents and some plans written now so right. we can 
have something established if fighting does break out, basically, right. is what they say. Um, this is where he meets Harriet Tubman. Um, they become pretty close. She helps him recruit for his plans in Harper's Ferry. He starts to call her um, General Tubman. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Um, and just as a, a note, in 1859... Uh, a declaration of liberty by the representatives of the slave population of the United States of America was written. So it's basically their similar own to de- a declaration. Yeah, similar to a declaration of independence, except they're not saying we're establishing our own country. No, but they're saying right. these we need are to free be, within this country. Th- this needs to be what happens in this country. Right. Like basically right. is what they're saying. Right. Well, that is the main difference, like you were talking about mm-hmm. before, with the Confederacy forming their own, mm-hmm. you know, separate whatever. Yeah. Is that the difference is that they said we are now a new country separate from you. Yeah. Whereas the plan here, which was, you know, the way it should have been going, was no, it is just that now these people are free within this country. And, and how do we, we go should about be doing building um yeah. you know building a society that works for that Mm -hmm. it functions a little closer to like um france's independence fights because they didn't want a new country they just wanted to reestablish things in their country it's like a little closer Mm -hmm. to that sure yes um so that's sort of happening in the background and he was a part of that and participated in that and over the next few months he continues to try to recruit and collect money for his planned raid on Harper's Ferry. Um, again, we'll get more into details in just a second, but his plans are halted for a few months because him and Hugh are still having all these di- disagreements mm. and Hugh threatens to reveal the identities of some of the members of the Secret Six. Oh, come on, Hugh! I know. Uh, and so they have to sort of like cut off a little bit of funding to help keep themselves secret because they don't want to be revealed six. so that they can be able to continue fund this cu- funding this type of work. Secret six. Secret six. Um, uh, during this period, he conducts some small raids to free slaves um, in a couple of different places. He helps groups of slaves travel to Canada. Um, he performs some lectures. He meets with a lot of other abolitionist leaders. And this is what I was talking about. Like, during this time, he's talking a lot with Frederick Douglass. They're meeting a lot and discussing because he's really serious about, like, wanting a militia and having to fight to free slaves and frederick Douglass right. still believes that like the way to do it is through these like political policy actions and yeah you know electing the right people and all this stuff um and, and just truth to both of those things yeah um and so frederick every time he comes to him frederick Douglass is like this is the most ridiculous and frightening <laughs> man that i know he's a br- he's brilliant <laughs> his work is great i'm afraid for what he's going to do he is <laughs> kind of frightening yeah he's like i think he's great but i disagree with him very aggressively <laughs> but also just like in general i don't know guys if you haven't seen a picture of john he's Brown, intense looking he is frightening looking that is an appropriate word yeah he he's like use. a toned down rasputin yes he's like a his scary, eyes aren't quite so scary he's like a scary lincoln yeah, but, and he doesn't and a look less scary. Rasputin, like he's in there. In when between. I look at him, I'm not afraid of him, but he does he's look scary. If that makes sense, yes, <laughs> yeah. He, I'm telling you, he's on, on the spectrum of Lincoln to Rasputin. He is dead center. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, 
So on July 3rd, 1859, John uses a fake name to rent a farmhouse just outside of Harper's Ferry, Virginia. So let's talk about Harper's Ferry and why Mm -hmm. this is an important thing and why he wants to set up shop here. There is a federal army or armory, sorry. Yep. (laughs) One of like two, I think, in the country Mm -hmm. in Harper's Ferry. His plan is to raid the armory, steal the weapons, and distribute the weapons to slaves in the South. So he thinks if he can get enough people on his side here, they can do like a massive raid collect a lot of weapons and quickly distribute them and basically just start a, a major revolution in the South. That's what he wants. Right. Um, so he sets up just outside of Harper's Ferry and he's basically just waiting for some of his like recruits to come in. Harriet Tubman has said, yes, I will get you some former slaves and some other people um, and I'll send them your way. And he's just waiting for people. And this whole time when he's been like raising money and like trying to recruit people, he is not getting the numbers he feels like he should be getting. So he'll talk to people and they'll be like, yeah, I get it. That seems good. Like I get what you're going for. And then he's like, can you give me some men? And they're like, no. No. So like (laughs) he, uh, he doesn't get quite as many as he thinks that he is going to. But will that stop him? Absolutely (laughs) not. No, my friends, it surely will not. So on October 16th, 1859 john begins the raid um with his pretty small team of men there's not a ton of them now this is another thing where i i could do a whole episode just on the raid of harper's ferry um it's yeah there's like a lot to talk about in the way of like he could have waited he went too soon he didn't have enough people and there's jumped the gun and in the same way that like a lot of battles in the civil war have a lot of like moving parts and then this happened and then this happened and this happened the same is true here um right i just felt like since we were doing an overview of his life i didn't need to go quite so in depth on the raid um so this is going to be a pretty um pretty brief overview of the raid. cliff's notes Yeah. yeah um so he Begins the raid with a small team of men. They cut the telegraph line in town and capture the armory without too much trouble. Um, they they take care of that decently quickly. Uh, they capture some hostages from the area um, and begin spreading word to the lake, local slaves that, quote, their liberation is at hand. So they're trying to, like, warn people, hey, we're stealing these guns for you. Be ready. And a lot of people are like, huh? You know, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah. Nobody informed me I was getting guns. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, so sometime that day or the next day, uh, a Baltimore and Ohio train coming from Wheeling tries to pass through the town. Um, John initially stops them, like he's not going to let them go. Um, but eventually he allows the train to leave town. I don't know why he Why would you do that? Why would you do that? I don't know. He stopped them for- After stopping them. Hours. If you didn't stop them, that would be one thing. But he stopped them, so he, like- Come on, man. Was, like, on the train talking to people for, like, five hours. Everybody knows. And, like, not knows. trying to hide his identity because at this point, he's, after his work in Kansas, right. he's very well known. Right. Um, Everybody knows if you bring outside people into a hostage situation, which this is, he's uh-huh. taken hostages, you can't just let them go. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to say this is how you take hostages. I'm just saying logically, this is a bad yeah. move logically to, it, like, he could have just not stopped them. Yeah. 
Right? And they wouldn't have known the difference, really. Well, they had, like, tried to back up out of town because they knew something was wrong. Um, and I, but he could have just yeah. let them pass and nothing really would have happened. Yeah. They would have just passed through. Yeah. Um, so when the train reaches the next town, the, t- the telegraph is working. Of course. So the conductor sends a telegraph, um, and eventually it gets around to President Buchanan and the Virginia governor wise, and they're alerted to the raid that's happening. It's Game so over, weird baby. for me to call these places Virginia. Virginia, I like, know, me I don't too. Like it. It's not like Virginia it. anymore. So. No, it's West Virginia now. <laughs> right. And, and in case you were wondering at the beginning while well, Sis and I were talking about. Oh, how yeah. This is a very important thing for West Virginia history is because he is a huge player in the Civil War, huge player. And this happened in West Virginia. So it's like kind of. Yeah. And if you don't know, for those who aren't Americans, Uh and I don't know if we've talked too much about this, but the state of West Virginia was created during the the Civil War. Uh We seceded from Virginia to become a northern state. To join the Union because we didn't want slaves. Exactly. So. Um, no, there's a lot uh, else that goes into that. But that is why we learn about this in West Virginia history, Uh because it is now located in West Virginia. And he is a, like you said, major player in the Civil War. And any claim to fame we can have in West Virginia, we we go take it, it, baby. And we don't, we we don't have a lot of, we don't have a ton of abolitionists famous (laughs) in our area. So we'll take the ones we can get. Exactly. Um, yeah, so the the government is now alerted to the raid happening. Yeah. And by this point, local farmers and militia have also started fighting back against the the team, right? Right, cause because you're in Virginia. Yeah, well, and initially it was like, surprise, we're raiding you and nobody knew what to do. But like now it's been a couple of days and people are starting to fight back. And they already have guns. Yeah. Hello. Uh-huh. Um, they siege, seize a bridge out of town that would have ended up being John's only escape route. Um, he moves his men to barricade themselves in the local firehouse so they have to leave the armory because it's getting pretty dicey and a lot of people are getting shot. Lots um, of mistakes were made. Yeah. By October 18th, the fire, firehouse is surrounded by U.S. soldiers um, who are led by Robert E. Lee. Zoink um, <laughs> scoop. They break down the doors and capture John, um, and they injure him in the process. I read that they like kicked him in the head. He was, that's like, what I remember. He had like a head injury because of them yeah, capturing that's right. him. That's yeah. right. Uh, John's men over the course of the raid killed four people and wounded nine. Uh, ten of John's men are killed, including two of his sons. Oof. Five of his men escape, including a different one of his sons, because he's chock-a-walk full of them. (laughs) Um, And seven of his men are captured along with him when he is captured. He's very quickly jailed and tried. Um, Wise requests that John be tried in Virginia, even though the crime was on a federal building. And because James Buchanan was too afraid of making a, a political statement one way or the other about abolition, he was like, yeah, go for it, man. He was was scared of wise, too. Yeah. Like, as a person, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, But, like, Virginia's already a very deeply established Major player, yes. Um, And so he was like, you know, if you want to fight this fight, go for it, because I don't want to have to make a political statement on this, you know? Because we love letting cowards run our country. Yeah. We do. Okay. Um, He, John is tried... Or he's charged 
with mur- murdering four white men and one black man. Um, I, a couple of of the local people's slaves were killed during the fighting. And also, it's not clear whether John actually shot anyone, but the he, people who he, were killed were killed in the crossfire. Exactly. His actions yeah. led to their death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's charged with murder, um, inciting a slave insurrection, even though not that many slaves actually... Yeah, but I mean, he did incite an insurrection. That was Um, kind of the goal. And treason against the Commonwealth of Virginia. Cool. Uh, His trial begins on October 27th in Charlestown, not Charleston. Charlestown, West Virginia. Virginia, then. West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Our capital is Charleston, but we also have a town called Charlestown. Charlestown. It's the worst. Great. Um, on November 2nd, after a week-long trial and 45 minutes of deliberation, Ooh. the Charlestown jury finds uh, Brown guilty on all three counts. And he is sentenced to be hanged in public on December 2nd. Um, and this trial is one of the first to be um, nationally reported op- on. Um, a bunch of people came and, like, the Telegraph has just recently been invented. So uh, the press is, like, reporting on it and it's being sent all over the right. country. So it's one of the first, like, trials to be reported on nationally. Um, in the month between his sentencing and his execution, uh, John gives lots of interviews to the press about his beliefs and about abolition. Um, he receives hundreds of letters and responds to as many as he can. A lot of his family members report this being, like, the, the happiest they've ever heard of him, seen him, <laughs> is this period. Because he well, feels because like he's people making are a difference. Listening. Yeah. 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 Um, because he's such a well-established abolitionist and the abolition movement is also really well-established by this point, there are plans, several plans, to attempt to rescue him from prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they could, probably could have done it. Um, but he declines the off- offers. Because well, because now he can make himself a martyr. Exactly. For the so cause. in right. a letter to his family, he writes, blood will do vastly more towards advancing the cause I have earnestly endeavored to promote than all I have done in my life before. I am worth inconceivably more to hang than for any other purpose. That's and right. there were a ton of people who were like writing to the president and to mm-hmm. wise being like, if you hang him, it's over. Yeah. You I, well, are, and he knew that. Yeah. Th- there are tons of people being like, sentence him to life in prison, anything else. If you hang him, it's done. You yep. will lose all credibility. The abolitionists will have a martyr and it's over for yep. you. Yep. And, and he knew that. They weren't wrong. <laughs> yep. Um, he writes his last words and gives them to his jailer. Um, and this is what he wanted his last words to be. I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed it might be done. But yeah, right. You did not think that, my liar. guy. <laughs> but that's where he But at. what he said, it's so well thought out because what he's saying is like, you know, I really wanted to try to do it. In but a the, way that would cause as little death and, and bloodshed as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried and then they crushed that and now they're going to hang me. Yeah. And now I don't think it can be done. Like, it's yeah. so calculated yep. and really 
smart, honestly, yeah. for him. Yeah. On December 2nd, at 11 a.m., he rides sitting on his coffin oh. in a furniture wagon. Remember we what talked a, about this? What a move. Yeah. Though. Yeah. We talked about this with Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's funeral right. parlors used to also be furniture stores. Anyway. Yeah. Yes, um, that's right. We did. Yeah. So he, that's why I included but this detail because I thought oh, it was Oh, what a move. I know. He said, I it's shall sit atop my coffin. A really wow. iconic piece of imagery. There's lots of yeah. art done of it. Um, so he rides sitting on his coffin um, from the county jail through a crowd of 2,000 soldiers. They're, they line the streets on either side of him. There's lots of art of this scene and it's like kind of wild to look at. It's a lot mm-hmm. of people um to a small field a few blocks away where the gallows were among the soldiers in the crowd were future confederate general stonewall jackson if you haven't listened to our episode on stonewall jackson that my oh, friend caitlin did please do. please go it is it's a fever of, dream that's the whole exactly episode. right it's um, one of the weirdest episodes we have ever ever done so go and enjoy that's that saying something yeah so stonewall jackson is there as is john wilkes booth Interesting. He borrowed a militia uniform to gain admission to the execution. This dude, oh man, yeah. he was buck wild. Yeah. He was buck wild. Um, Walt Whitman also later described viewing the execution. So apparently he was there too. Mm. Uh, John is hanged at 11.15 a.m. And he's pronounced dead at 11.50. <sighs> oh, John. Oh, John. Um, he wanted to be cremated. But his wife wanted him to be buried. And also in Virginia, it was against the law to burn bodies, I Interesting. guess. Um, so he wasn't allowed to be cremated. He uh, was buried apparently with the noose still around his neck Ugh. on his land in North Elba, New York. Ugh. Yes. Anne and I were talking about this the other day and I got it mixed up because I thought that the noose was the thing I had seen. But I have seen the rope oh. that they hung him with. It's like the same piece of rope. There's a, um, there are many museums about him, but in the West Virginia State Museum, they have that there. Yeah, that's a super weird thing that we've just held on to. Like I said, West Virginia, any, any little thing they can hold on to. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's sort of the end of my story with him, but like the, the impact cannot be understated. No. Um, this, it's, it is not long after this that tensions finally come to a head and the civil war begins um he he his martyrdom really was like the first major step to give um the growing abolitionist movement like a lot of credibility in the south because this happened in the south um like people kind of saw that it could be done and done successfully um and it it really just got the ball rolling, and yeah, totally. Because abolitionists in the South up until that point were really uh, fighting an uphill battle yeah. in a very big way, and he tipped the scales For to them. say like, now you have to. If roll I can with do it, it you can do it ar- too. It's already happened. Yep. It's happening. Yeah. So you know, now's the time. Yeah. And they rolled with it. Yep. Thankfully. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just, I find him really interesting and his story really interesting, mostly because like, like we were saying before, when I was growing up, I kind of had it in my head that he was just a, a West Virginia uh, sort of piece of iconography, you know what I mean? Right. Um, because right. Harper's Ferry is here. It's a, it's a um, national historic park. 
the whole town is. Um, it's really well preserved. You can like go and visit all of the places that he was. But then as I was reading this, I was reading like there are tons of museums about him in Kansas and in Pennsylvania sure. where he did his work. Like he I I forget what a major player he was. Like he was Yeah up there with Frederick Douglass as a as a famous abolitionist and I forget that sometimes. So I just think yeah. he's a really interesting dude. He definitely is. I mean, he uh was a little uh he jumped the gun a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but you know, he knew what he believed in and he wanted to make it happen and and he fought for it his whole life. He his did. Entire he life. really really did his mm-hmm. whole life. So, which, you know, you can't say for too many other people. I mean, obviously, some of the other abolitionists we've spoken about Uh here, you can. But, um, yeah. But of white people? Not a lot. Absolutely not. Not a lot of white abolitionists were lifelong abolitionists. I would say almost zero. Yeah. If I had to guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was a good one, Amanda. Thanks. Well, History's great, but today is good too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about the things that we like about the here and now. And it's been a minute. Yeah, we haven't done one in a while. I think Pride was the last time we did one. Wow, that was a while ago. Well, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I'll go. Okay. Uh, This week I'm bringing horror movies. Ah, uh, yes, you've been on a kick. I've been in a mood. Yeah. It's becoming fall. The air's getting cool. Mm-hmm. I want to watch spooky movies. Um, I love horror movies. I I am already a pretty big film nerd, just in general. I have, in recent years, become a real nerd for horror movies. I find yeah. the genre to be really fascinating. The way that, like, really specific tropes are played with. In yeah. horror is cool to me, and I really like seeing how, like, new horror directors are playing with those, like, really well-established tropes. So, like, I watched Midsummer recently, and that's on my brain, but also I've been thinking about, like, Us and Get Out and, like, the way right. that they play with tropes and stuff like that. I don't know. I just have been – I love horror movies. I love I them. love that for you. Yeah. I am not a horror movie person, but that is because I have certain aversions – and anxieties just in general about a lot of those things yeah yeah now i do love like cheesy 90s horror like i do too oh oh my god it's like scream friday the 13th the genre is rich there's so much good stuff i I love love the ones that don't take themselves too seriously i love lean really hard into the tropes i love b movies i love b horror movies yeah horror movies are it they are I'm so dumb that. i love it now i respect the genre it's just not for me like yeah. i i don't think like i understand logically that get out uh and us us are incredible horror films but yeah i don't think that i can ever watch them because my brain is so messed up on the concept midsummer yeah. too i can't Ooh, even like yeah. i see trailers and i'm like nope i don't think i can watch that it looks amazing but i don't think i can watch it so that's where my brain goes but yeah. i love that for you uh-huh so there's Do you mine. want mine yeah mine is not even anything like that already yeah it's so dumb comparatively personalized picture calendars <laughs> 
it's um a deviation from you, yours. You presented that like Miles does um advice that will go for Do Miles. You wanna yeah. know what I am into. Yeah. I love personalized picture calendars. This is something that I don't know if you remember, but dad used to get these made. Mm-hmm. Every year for the grandparents. Yeah. Pictures of us throughout the year put into a calendar for the year following. Right. They were printed on just normal paper so yep. the images would like bleed if they got wet. Uh-huh. Um, the you could get pull up over time. <laughs> totally. You could get nicer ones like laminated, which I think later he did, but like at one point he was just printing them himself. To be fair, he also worked at a print shop, so like I get it. <laughs> Well, but that should mean that he could have gotten the nicer ones. No, I just mean I get why he bought and made them because he worked at a print shop. Absolutely. So, but I just love the idea of like putting pictures of yourself or people that you know onto a calendar that you hang on your wall. Like, I don't know why that's so perfectly kitschy and silly to yeah. me. Because, like, what I when I buy a calendar, typically I'm buying, like, a themed calendar. Like, like right now I have um, the amazing Pittsburgh photographer Dave DiCello has a calendar of, like, his images of the moon over Pittsburgh, and they're great. So, I like, that's what I'm using. I always year. get um, alternate history calendars. Yeah, or you've uh, had, like, when we were kids, it was, like, you've had Marvel ones. I would get a Harry Potter I had, like, one. I would yes, get, yeah. exactly. Or, like, Barbie when I was really little. So it was, like, you know, <laughs> many people could have had this calendar. But nobody else is going to have your personalized picture calendar where you can stare at the same picture all month long and then switch it over to a new one. And my favorite thing was when you would, like, theme the pictures to the month. Yeah, So, oh, like, yeah. in October, it's, like, us in our Halloween costumes yeah. from last year. Oh, I just love it. Yeah, I think it's iconic. so fun. And weird. I find it kind of weird in a way that, like, you don't think it's weird until you really think about it. Yeah, you think too hard about it, and you're like, that's bizarre that we do that. (laughs) It's a lot of effort. But grandparents eat that. Oh, they love it. That was a great one. That was a great one. (laughs) Oh, man. Well... We did modern times. Uh What will the next one bring? Who knows? knows? I think we've already repeated ourselves. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the last one that we did in Pride, we both both (laughs) did one that we had done before. Because I did Pride Friends and you did Trader Joe's and I'm almost positive those had both been done before. Did I do Trader Joe's or did I do grocery delivery? No, you did Trader Joe's. Yeah. I'm almost positive we had repeated those. So we're doing great over here. So you know what? Just be aware it's going to happen. We yeah. had no memory for something like that. So, uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> that was a good episode, Amanda. Um, we'll have one more before spooky season. Um, I don't know what that's going to be just yet, but just be prepared, you guys, because spooky season is a coming. Yeah. Um, we would love to hear suggestions for spooky history stories if Please. you have them. In the past, um, we've done, like haunted places and haunted people we've done like yeah you um, can go back and look we do, we did like salem yeah. and um you did the winchester um house i did bedlam asylum one year like stuff yeah. like that that's the sort of the so, idea things you might see in or around horror movies or that are spooky just themed. halloween like, times yeah yeah 
Um, so if any of you have suggestions for that, or if you have other topic suggestions or questions or whatever, um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. Uh, we're also on Facebook. If you just search the podcast name. Um, we would love it if you would leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Hey, hey, we're back and we did it. Yeah. I don't know what's coming up next, but. Me either. But uh, until next time. Remember that time. <laughs>